get ready for an inspiring journey with a real-life superhero, Shona Hirons. Despite challenges like burnout, a near-fatal accident, and cancer, she has emerged stronger each and every time. Shona's stress and burnout experiences even led to an early menopause, which presented its own challenges. Join me in this intimate conversation as we explore Shona's amazing story, from overcoming adversity to guiding others to find their resilience and fulfillment. Hey there, welcome to the Burnout Isn't Necessary podcast, where we delve into the world of stress, burnout, and the science behind it all. Over a decade ago, I faced burnout as a management consultant, experiencing an emptiness that I wouldn't wish on anyone. But here's the truth. My burnout wasn't necessary, and it's not necessary for you either. I'm Hannah Holden, and together with my amazing guests, we share our real-life experiences with stress and burnout. We explore the science behind stress, offering practical tips to help you navigate those challenging moments in life. Our goal? To empower you to prevent burnout from taking over your life. I am passionate about stress mastery and preventing burnout, and I am here to guide you to a more balanced, fulfilling life. So let's go. Burnout isn't necessary, and I'm here to show you why. Hello and welcome. Welcome to Shona Hirons. I should have asked you before we started how to pronounce your surname. I'll ask you that in a moment. Um, Shona and I met last year. We were both at an event talking about burnout and stress and Shona had um, some personal experience in burnout and also professional experience helping um, other people who are going through burnout. And so I thought that it would be great to get Shona onto the podcast to share some of her wisdom with us so welcome Shona. Thanks very much Hannah that's really kind of you and I'm looking forward to it. So let's start by if you could just introduce yourself a little give us a bit of background on who you are and what you do. Okay so my name is Shona Hirons and um, I am nearly 50 Um, and I guess going back to my I call it now my former life so I spent 20 years working as a lawyer in the corporate world, um, specialising in many different areas of law, mainly employment, consumer, uh, anything contentious, really. I quite liked a good argument. So, uh, yeah, contentious litigation. And it wasn't all bad. It was, you know, it was quite good in my early, in my 20s and early 30s. It was the culture where I worked was pretty good. I'd been with the same company for about 14 years. So, you know, the I had lots of friends there as well and throughout my 20s I was told that due to well they didn't know what caused it at the time but I was told I couldn't have children so I kind of threw myself into my career so I didn't mind working sort of late some evenings um I wouldn't give up my weekends though my weekends were mine and and I felt like I had that work-life balance and then when I was 32 we discovered that I had a, I was born I was born very prematurely and I was born with a hole in my heart and it was that basically long story short I had the hole closed and within eight months or so I was able to come off all the medication which prevented me from being able to have children and then I fell pregnant with my now 15 year old daughter so I guess my life my my priorities around work changed Um, especially when she reached school age because she was like my little miracle and I wanted to be that mum who was at the school gates at least once a week to to drop her off and pick her up it was really important 
And at the time, they were going through quite a lot of changes in the organisation I was working for. Uh, there was changes in, in the law we were going to be dealing with. Um, I was the only female in the team and the only person who'd had time off with you know the maternity mm. and when I came back we had a new manager um, and his values I could tell almost straight away were very very different to mine he, he would often and why you could say why didn't I do anything about it at the time I, I didn't um, you know he'd often make comments like well my, my wife's got four children and her job is to stay at home and do the cooking do the cleaning she's and he'd make jokes about the fact that she wanted a proper job and he said but that is her job and he he would make comments to me like you know you should really make a choice of whether you want a career or be a mother and I felt why can't we have both you know this was 2008 2009 mm -hmm. um, and over the next couple of years I felt like partly he made things very very difficult for me uh, he'd act all all nice to me when we were in a group with other people, but then to my face, he made it clear that he just didn't rate me as a lawyer, um, and it, it became really quite toxic very quickly. He he took all my responsibilities away from me. Um, he would literally stand behind my shoulder, even though I'd been practicing for 14 or so years by this point and he'd be going that's wrong that's wrong that's not right that's not right and it was so intimidating and I'd find myself he even though I was I put in a request for flexible working and I was supposed to have Wednesdays off to do the school run have some time at home pick my daughter up I'd come in on a Thursday and I'd still have the same targets as all the full-timers and I'd come into work on a Thursday and literally my my entire files would be almost up to the ceiling. And it went from supposedly working a 28-hour week to working 80 hours a week. Mm. And I was I was getting into the office earlier and earlier. I was getting in for like half five and I'd have an hour to travel each way as well. I wasn't getting home from work until gone 11. Um, and I would literally sit at my desk all day you know, without taking breaks, eat eat the wrong foods. I'd be snacking off stuff from the vending machine, drinking coffee after coffee. And it changed me. I, I've always been this really active person and really into my health and fitness. And I lost all that. Um, and I fell out of love with myself. Uh, I stopped going out with friends. And I'd even go a whole week, some weeks, without washing my hair because there just wasn't time. Um, and and I th and then yeah, I mean I won't go into all the all the details at the moment because I'm sure you've got some questions. But that was kind of the start of what I now understand was burnout. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so well, my question was going to be about your burnout experience. So yeah, I I think you've set the scene. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and I can see that he's got this limiting belief that women can either be mothers or or be or have a career and he's kind of forcing that on you by the sounds of what you've described so far at least yeah and i mean burnout i now understand it's one of those things that can just creep up on you really really quickly and you know i'd say in the space of maybe 18 months i went from being this really confident person to someone who'd hardly even speak anymore i'd be very i'd have very closed body language and I felt like, you know, I'd have to work 
harder and harder and stay longer and you know we started off with like my my 28 hour week went up to 40 um and then the 40 hours went up to 50 and part of that was the pressure that i had from from my manager who would say well you've got targets to meet and you're behind and if you don't reach them by the end of the year then you'll be on a performance improvement plan um so you know i was just trying to keep on top of it all and taking on new work it just became impossible and you weren't allowed to bring work home so you had to stay in the office and and I think that the more I tried to push myself the more I neglected my needs and the slower it made me because I would sometimes be sat at my desk and I could read the same line 50 times and I wouldn't be able to tell you what it said and then you stop panicking um and I think it was around Around about the beginning of 2013, I started getting strange physical symptoms as well. So I would, as I was getting to the office, I would get this intense burning feeling in my feet. And it was very, it was quite painful. It was like they were in a bunch of stingy nettles. And then my hands would start off, I'd get tingling in my fingers. And then they would go literally completely paralyzed and they would claw in on me. And to start, it was just one hand. And then after about six months, it started doing it with both hands. And I, I'd be completely paralyzed for sometimes it would be 20 minutes. But on the worst occasion, it was two days. And I was actually on my honeymoon when it when it happened on the um, when it happened with both hands for a couple of days. And I'd actually stopped. I'd relaxed. I was having a good time. And I think it was my body's way of just going stop, slow down um and it was it was horrible and and then i felt so exhausted for ages after um and i think it all started when i had a client that i'd been working with for about 9 months and we were at the point of settling his case it was an employment case and we'd done all the exchange of documents with the the other side and this particular client he would not answer his phone from our work numbers because they were withheld. And I'm a bit like that. I don't like answering withheld calls. So, but he'd say, look, if you need to call me, then just send me an email. Just say, hey, you know, will you will you give me a call? And I'll call you straight back. So that's on this one day, he we'd had an offer in from ACAS, which are the conciliators, to settle his case. And I needed to speak to him quite quite soon. So I sent him an email and the emails weren't auto-generated either. You had to plot it in each time on, on the system where I worked. And I missed a digit out of the email address. And I get an email back about two hours later from the wrong person going, hi, my name is Steve, but I don't think I'm the Steve that you're looking for. But if you're blonde, 25 and sexy as you know what, he said, please feel free to give me a call. And at first I thought that was quite funny. And then I realized, oh, I've, I've breached data protection and the company took that really seriously. So I thought, right, I, I better just let my, my boss know that I've had this, this email, but, you know, have a look at my file. Everything's there. You know, there was nothing confidential sent to, the, to this person. So at first he said, oh, yeah, that's OK. And then when I came into work the next day, I literally got handed a letter and I, the security guards had to come up and they had to escort me out of the premises. Um, I was being suspended and I wasn't allowed to talk to anyone. I wasn't allowed to turn my machine on. 
Um, I was reported to my professional body for potential gross misconduct. And I was sent home and told that they were going to get somebody in to investigate my, my file to see if I was if I knew this wrong Steve, the wrong person who replied. And even if I was in an inappropriate relationship with him, um, it was ridiculous. But that at the time, I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to lose my whole career. And all I did was send an email to the wrong person. And I was like, I maybe a slap on the wrist, but all this. And that was when I had my first panic attack. And I'd never had a panic attack before. And I actually thought I was dying. And, you know, my heart rate was all over the place. I'd only had heart surgery a couple of years earlier. So I didn't know if it was like connected and it was really scary. And mm. I couldn't breathe properly. And I was, the tears were flooding down my face. But I didn't tell, I couldn't tell anyone. I felt so stupid. I just didn't understand it. And then they were coming on fast and frequent. And um, I did go to see a GP on one occasion. But when you have a 10 minute GP appointment and you're trying to explain your symptoms, but you don't really understand it yourself. And they're there looking at their watch. He ended up saying to me, I just needed to pull myself together. Um, and I honestly, I, I left that doctor surgery feeling so pathetic. And I sat in the car and just sobbed all the way home. Um, I just felt not listened to. So I just carried on and I just kept on pushing myself and pushing myself. And I honestly, I just felt completely empty inside. And did you did you know that it was a panic attack? And did you no. did you so you just had this experience? And I'm, I've spoken to other people who've had panic attacks who have described it as being like having a heart attack because it's the mm. pain in your chest. Um and so, so you thought you were going with, um, yeah, with with potentially a heart condition, and, and you were told to pull yourself together and go home. Yeah, yeah. I had no. I, I mean, I didn't know. I didn't know anybody else who had panic attacks. Nobody really ever talked about that sort of stuff. Um, and and I didn't know how to. If I told anybody at work, I thought you know I would just be put onto some sort of disciplinary even more. And I was already on my like uh, the result of that that suspension I ended up getting a final written warning and I remember my manager saying to me you need to remember in this world that we're not ro we're not humans we're robots and we cannot make mistakes and I now feel incredibly sorry for him if that's the way he lives his life and anyone around him because we are humans and we do make mistakes but that pressure at the time was so much and this was now in 2013 and it ended up I was I'd gone to my sister-in-law's with my husband and she lives in Solcombe in Devon and it was like the first time I don't know I'd been away from home or even gone anywhere for about a year and a half and we had a really lovely evening and you know and then I woke up on the Saturday morning and I wasn't hung over because I hadn't had a lot to drink but I just, I think, again, because I'd stopped, my body had stopped and I slowed down for once, I ended up losing all the feeling in my left arm, um, my whole body, my face drooped. Um, I soiled myself. I had no control of my bowels. Um, my hands went in on themselves again like that. And I, it was so, so frightening. Um, and they called an ambulance and the, the nearest hospital was Derryford in Plymouth, which was an hour away. I got blue light into hospital 
And I can honestly say I have never felt so unwell in my entire life. And everyone was trying to keep me awake and like blow air into my face because all I wanted to do is just sleep. Um, and they they checked my blood gases in the ambulance and I hadn't had a heart attack, so it wasn't that. And then when I got to hospital, I had bloods and they did an MRI scan, either an MRI or a CT, I can't remember. And after about five hours, the doctors came out and said, well, we've got good news. Your test results are normal. There's nothing wrong with you. And, and I remember thinking, like, that doesn't feel like good news because I feel so unwell. I know what happened to me. You don't just go and, you know, excuse my language, shit yourself. You know, that. I didn't even admit that to anyone for years because I was so ashamed. But there was something not right with with me. I was not well. Um, and and they sent me home. And it took every ounce of energy for me just, just to get up the stairs and, and crawl into bed. And I stayed there for three weeks. And I've, I know I said, I lost all my confidence. And then I felt under pressure to go back to work because there was nothing wrong with me. And, and when I did, that was kind of, I knew that was the, I couldn't do this anymore. It was killing me. I had, it was ruining my relationship with my husband. It was like a domino effect. You know, my daughter, uh, I'd lost friends because they stopped asking me if I wanted to go out anymore. And I'd always have an excuse, which was normally quite true. But yeah, it was it was horrible. And I would say that I was probably deeply depressed. You know, I would cry every night when I got in from work. I'd be sick every morning before I'd go in. Um, With anxiety. Yeah, yeah. And if I look at pictures of myself now, and that was 10 years ago, just over 10 years ago, I look older then than I do now. Um, and it got to the end of 2013. And I was so broken that I just thought I cannot get I cannot come back here again. And I left with no job to go to. And I just had to get out of there. And I honestly do think that if I hadn't gone, I wouldn't be here today so this that sounds like a, an ex, it's far more extreme set of um, symptoms that you've described than I had in my burnout have you met others who have a similar set of symptoms that that has been caused by burnout and, and my other question would be how did when did you come to realize that that was all to do with burnout so that, that you know the medics are telling you you're normal <laughs> So how did you go from from that to figuring out that actually it was the root cause was burnout? I mean, first of all, when I when I walked out of there at the, in December 2013 and I had no job to go to, the first thing I thought I need to do is to start finding me again. And mm. and I thought, well, I'd, I'd always been massively into my health and fitness. So I went started going back to the gym um, and I started realizing, wow, well, you know, I feel really good. I feel happy um when I when I've had a workout that was my way of decompressing um we've all got different things that, that work for us but that was my thing um and and then there was a, a a guy in the gym who was opening up his own studio and he said look I'd love you he said your energy's brilliant he said I'd love you to to come and work with me but and I'll pay for all your your training so we started off with with um, training as a spin instructor and then I did all my PT qualifications then over the next couple of years um, 
And at first, I thought there's no way. I mean, my confidence was still so low. There were, the thought of sitting on that bike at the front of the studio with a room full of strangers, there was no way I could do that. Um, so it was the first class I taught was actually February 2014. And I'd been qualified for a couple of months, shadowed a few classes. And I just could see the buzz that everyone was getting. And, and so I ended up teaching my classes and, and I loved it. And, you know, I think, first of all, it was letting go of that imposter syndrome as well of like, well, why would anyone, I was 39 at the time, why would anyone want someone who's nearly 40, you know, instructing their class or teaching them how to do exercise? But now I now realise, and I'm 50 this year and I still teach, is like people actually look up to you. They think, well, yeah, you know, you understand it. You understand that actually it's not all about going really, really fast or you know, if you're lifting weights, it's more about, you know, taking your time and stuff like that. Um, so that that was really, really important to me. Um, and then I kind then I then I also that wasn't gonna be my main job. So I needed to start again, like thinking, right, how am I gonna bring the money in? What am I gonna do? And I found a job close to home, which was kind of it was still in law but it wasn't as anywhere near high high pace as what I had been doing for, for many years. Um, so I got a job there and it was mainly just more admin management based. And after six months, I started to really get my confidence back. But I would say I'd gone from being burnt out to bored out, if that makes any sense. Like I, I quite like a challenge. I quite like a bit of stress in my life. Now I was just like, you know, every day was the same. And I, I I, would still get to a Friday and still not look forward to Mondays because the job was just mundane and boring. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it was the it was the fitness side and, and everything else which made me realise. And I started as well doing lots and lots and lots of research and personal development and um, started doing some professional development qualifications as well. And the more people I spoke to, I'd realized that what I had, what I had was, was this now, it's not a buzzword, but burnout. Um, and I mean, I, during that time as well, I was also going for other medical appointments to rule out anything else sinister. Mm. And I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, uh, which is apparently something where, you know, if you've got lots of pains in joints and, you know, in your, more so in your neck, I didn't really have pain in my neck, but with my hands clawing in stuff. Um, so I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia and put on medication to help with that and told there was no cure. But once I started changing my lifestyle, going to the gym, eating properly, managing my stress, taking a job that was nowhere near as demanding, the panic attacks disappeared. Mm-hmm. The clawing of my hands started to disappear. My feet wouldn't burn. Um, and I started to recognize the triggers and mm-hmm. make sure I had a way of interrupting that cycle. So, But that took time. It took a long time to, to mm-hmm. find that. So effectively, you kind of, you worked on making yourself better. And then from a position of better wellness, you were able to reflect back on the symptoms and what was causing you know, the cause of, like you say, your the hands. And so then you were able to spot that it was burnout and it was only in retrospect that you really understood what you'd been yeah. through. Yeah, pretty much. And like, 
you know, no, if you ask me if I got any help, no, not at that stage. I didn't. I didn't get any help. And I, I kind of wish I had. Mm. But I almost wish I had someone in my corner to, to help me figure that out. Because, yeah. you know, when I talk to people now, I get them to recognize the obvious behavior changes in others. So even if you're not struggling with burnout, there may be someone in your team or, you know, a loved one who might be showing those obvious signs it could be that you know they they've started to be more tired or they're phoning in sick more or they just look withdrawn and they've gone a bit quieter these things it's not about just putting someone on a performance improvement plan it's about actually listening and if you can't help them signpost them to someone who can Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that both you and I experienced burnout 2013 was mine mm. and yours was more or less the same and, I, and so the awareness of burnout would have been the same uh, I had no idea and it's only in retrospect that I was able to look at all of those symptoms and look at the situation I'd been in leading up to it and and really now understanding the bigger picture um, mm. but I think that's why you and I are here right having this conversation because yeah. we've yeah. both so important but also yeah. inspired, like negatively impacted, but also inspired to share our stories, to raise awareness. And, and so hopefully somebody who's experiencing burnout today, the conversation, you know, we're here having the conversation. So hopefully. Yeah, yeah. I, and I don't know about you as well, Hannah, but I lived, I reckon, I think I lived in victim mode for a long time. And, you know, all, although, you know, burnout, burnout is described as, as chronic stress resulting from, you know your work and your workplace but i it can, there can be other things as well and they can all add up so you know i had other things going on in my in my personal life as well which you know we we were having trouble with a at the time we were renting we were having trouble with a with a landlady who was just horrendous and you know so there was there was that added stress um my my mum was very unwell she'd had a serious accident and wasn't expected to survive and stuff and I think you know all in in turn it was just like too much and you know I would I went from being this confident person to be being someone who was so overwhelmed and I'd catastrophize everything and yeah you know it was I look back now and I think gosh anyone who knew me then I'm a completely different person now Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you make a good point that whilst the definition of burnout is that it's caused by workplace stress, that it's a natural biological consequence of chronic stress. And frankly, the source can be any, even if the WHO currently recognise it as a workplace thing. So I'm, I'm aware that we don't have too much time, but I just wanted to touch on another topic that is interesting to you. And I know that you're multi-passionate, so you've touched on a few things already. So one is menopause. And in your blog, you mention that you believe that your stress and burnout experience brought on an early menopause. And that triggered me and my scientific analytical mind to go off and, and dig out a study that followed women and found that those women who had experienced higher levels of stress did have an earlier natural menopause, which that was news to me. So I thought I knew a fair bit about stress and burnout, but that was news. So could you, and I think that I've, I've heard other people talking about how women who are already experiencing menopausal symptoms, it can be so much worse for them if they then have high levels of stress as well. So could you give us some insights into the relationship between stress and menopause and, and any tips that you might have for somebody who's in that space? 
Yeah, definitely. Again, you know, there is there's not much talked about on this. And I think it's 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 is recognizing changes in again in your personality not just your personality but things like brain fog forgetting things um feeling hot etc um and i wish gps wouldn't just assume that you can't be uh, you know you're too young for menopause if you're in your 40s you get most of the symptoms when you're in perimenopause which can start with a lot of women in their mid-30s so um, you know, and again, the reason why I think there was a link between my early menopause and my burnout was that although I did go away and looked after myself and got myself back in 2016, when I was actually feeling quite confident, um, I was headhunted to to work back in, in the city of Bristol um, for another really big legal organisation, quite a senior role. And, and at first I didn't think I could do that because... It was very close to my old office and I still have these panic attacks if I went in anywhere near Bristol. So even though I'd done a lot of work on myself, that was still there. So I had to work out again a way of interrupting that cycle and stopping it. So I did take the job and I was honest with them about what had happened previously. And I had flexible working. So that was all good. And I would deal with that stress by cycling to work every day, which was about a 12 mile trip. Um, and on, I'd say the first few months in that job were brilliant. Um, I won employee of the quarter award and I started really believing in myself again that I can do this. And then I realized that the one thing I hadn't let go of from the 2013 stuff was I hadn't really set healthy boundaries. I've always been a people pleaser. I always like to say yes to pretty much everything. And I found myself just being given all these new projects and they were all really exciting stuff. But I was working between here and London. And before I knew it, I was back up to working 60 odd hours a week. And on one occasion, nearly seven years ago in February 2017, I, as always, and I think women are probably worse than men at this where you feel like you've got to do everything or all, all at home as well so I'd be up early get my daughter ready for school making pat lunches and I'd be rushing about and on this particular day in February 2017 I I don't even remember really what happened but according to a witness my bike hit a wet patch on the road and I went over the handlebars and my face took the impact and I ended up being put into an induced coma for two weeks. Um, I was wearing a helmet, but the, the shock of the, the fall went all the way right through my, my skull and fractured the base of my skull, broke every bone around my orbital area, completely smashed my cheekbone and, um, and, my, and my jaw. And, and then when I came around from the coma, I had major facial reconstructive surgery and I guess for the first time properly, that made me finally just stop and slow down and question my values, question my why. And, you know, I spent nine months in and out of hospital having major surgery and told I, there'd be things I'd never be able to achieve again. And I, I tried to go back to work. And that was when I started to experience what I now know was brain fog. Um, I'd be halfway through a conversation with a client and completely forget what I was talking about. And my manager there had a big problem with that. She was like, you know, 
why do you have to keep on asking people to repeat themselves? When are we going to get the old Shona back? And I didn't know if it, if this was due to the head injuries I'd had a year and a half or so earlier or something else. It was really, really difficult. Um, I was picking up a prescription one day and when they ask you what your address is, I couldn't remember my address. I could remember, see where the house was, you know, in my head, but what was the address? No idea. I'd, I'd go the wrong direction to work. Um, and just lots of other little things as well. But I did go to a doctor and they even suggested I had early onset dementia, which was, again, really scary stuff when you're, you know, I was 43, 44. Mm -hmm. um, and then my also after my accident in 2017, my period stopped completely overnight. Um, and I didn't think much of it at first. And then after about six months, I mentioned it to my GP and just said, look, you know, I've not had a period now for a while. And um, and he said, well, look, your body's been through so much trauma and stress. It's your probably your body's way of just stopping. And I thought, all right, fair enough. Um, and then almost two years after, so beginning of 2019, um, my period started again. But like nothing I'd ever experienced before. It was just like I'd bleed for 12 days. They were heavy. I'd be really bloated. Um, and again, the brain fog was just terrible. I, I could be also sat at home in say, January and it'd be freezing cold outside. And I'm there going, oh, my God, can we have the patio doors open? I'm boiling. And my husband would be there with a blanket up to here because he'd be freezing. And by this point, I knew I wanted to focus quite a lot on sort of my nutrition, fitness, keep on adding. So. I did um, an advanced diploma in nutrition and weight management and specialized in over 40s. And all the indicators were that I, had, I was in perimenopause. Um, so again, I mentioned it to my GP and he just ruled that out. I was 44, you're far too young for, for menopause um, and just basically told me to, to go away. And, and a few months later, I found out that I had uterine cancer and had to have a total abdominal hysterectomy which then also properly plunged me fully into menopause um again 2019 and there was no talk about this no one warned you that that could happen um the minute i started taking hrt it, i remember my husband saying god i feel like i've got my wife back and you know I'm, i've now gone on and done a lot more work in menopause and understanding it um and knowing like how to manage all the symptoms. And, and I now, I mean, I don't know 100% that it was all linked to, to the burnout, but I have had consultants say to me, you know, the amount of stress and trauma you've been through over those years, it's very likely that that is what caused your early menopause and maybe even the cancer, but we'll just never really know properly. No, sure, sure. And are, menopausal symptoms exacerbated by stress levels yeah definitely yeah um, it's, it's, it's massive it's got a massive thing so you know when i by by being able to reduce your stress if you can can really help with with a lot of symptoms pretty much most of them most of the main ones are like the hot flushes night sweats um it impacts your sleep as well so obviously if you're stressed and overwhelmed mm. it's, it's when you try and you know, go to sleep at night where everything's just running around your head. Um, 
And also when you're stressed, you tend to not eat properly. So you either do, in my case, I, I wouldn't be able to eat. So I was hardly having anything of nutritional value in me. Or you might go the other way and eat the sweet stuff, you know, the maybe even, even self-medicate with alcohol and drugs. Um, so all of that can have a massive impact on, you know, boosting any menopause symptoms that you might have anyway. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and so and now, um, you you have worked with people who are going through burnout and recovering from burnout. You're a burnout coach, right? Yeah. And and now you're also um, supporting women who are going through menopause. You're running programs, if I'm yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. I, I kind of I, I like to work with people just like me, but a few steps behind. And I just wish that I had someone in my corner when I was struggling. One with the burnout, just to sort of go, hey just stop, just slow down, you know, and help me through that. And I didn't have that. Um, I was just made to feel like it was all in my head. But then with the menopause side of stuff as well, you know, it can be completely life changing for some women. Um, and there's, there's a lot of talk around but, uh, menopause now with a new work workplace menopause pledge being rolled out by the government in the spring. And it's all good and well, but it's at risk of becoming another tick box exercise because, you know, you can't even go to your GP or very rarely find a GP if you're under the age of 50 and you're having clear menopause symptoms who will take you seriously. They'll still tell you you have to have a blood test. No, you don't. You don't have a blood test. It doesn't. You could have a blood test on a Monday morning and it'll give you one result. You could have it done again on a Monday afternoon. It'll give you a different one. So I, I show women now through a six week program how you can have an ultimate menopause makeover with understanding that every single thing you put into your mouth can affect your symptoms and there is not a single diet in sight either. So that's even more of a bonus. <laughs> and so if somebody wanted to find out a bit more, where would they go to connect with you or to find out more about what you do? Um, I mean, like at the moment so i haven't updated my website for the menopause stuff yet because i didn't want to confuse people um but i am on linktree and i can provide a um, a linktree uh, i've got a little one page pdf in there which explains everything about my my ultimate menopause makeover but also my corporate menopause program as well which i really want to push and 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 roll out and support as many organizations as i as i can to end the stigma and just make it normal because at the end of the day the way i look at it is i've got um i've actually got a private facebook group on facebook called the joyful menopause and some people say is it possible to have a joyful menopause damn right it is it's a choice but you don't you don't just have to put up with or think of it as like oh well that's it you know it's all downhill from here it can be the most empowering time of your life um and, you know, for me, yeah, reaching 50 this year, bring it on. I'm not ready to stop yet. Yeah, and it feels like because, as you know, if you're reaching 50, I'm not sure exactly how old your kids are, but the kids are like they're bigger and don't need quite the same level of support so yeah. women who are in that phase have such knowledge and experience that organizations need to know how to keep them need to know how to support them because otherwise we've got such a huge um, resource of expertise that we're not 
enabling to be in the workforce. So I think it's, I think you're doing some great stuff there. I wanted to um, close off by talking about goals because yeah. you've described your big accident with the with the cycling accident and um, how terrible your prognosis was at the time. And I know that you started setting yourself goals and the big one for you then was to be able to go on a ski holiday. Mm-hmm. And, and then you decided to do an Ironman, which was awesome. <laughs> Um, and so what is it that you're working on now? What What's your big goal? So I've been, since this time last year, I've been doing 50 things I've not done before, before I'm 50. Um, and, and it was just kind of started off as a bit of fun, but they were all, they all had to be things that challenged me a bit, even down to the first thing I did, which was, I think exactly this time last year, um, was to do cold water swimming. Um, I'm one of these people that, you know, even in Spain in the summer, I'll dip my toe in the sea and run away and squeal like a pig. Um, and and this time last year we did, we climbed Snowdon on one day. And then the second day there was, we'd gone, we found this beautiful, beautiful like waterfalls into this deep turquoise pool. Um, and it was 1.8 degrees halfway up Snowdon with snowy peaks and, and, in my bikini and my bobble hat, I got in and like even the dog looked at me as if to say, what the hell are you doing? So so that's something I also, I've, I've, I can, I never thought I'd do that, but I can understand now why so many people do these cold, these cold water dips and cold water therapy. You feel amazing after. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last one I did was on New Year's Day and it was at the top of another mountain and it was absolutely freezing oh my goodness, it was the cold wind air as well. But I still did it. And, you know, we have a laugh. Um, so that's one. And there's the, I'm up to, I've only got about five left. And I've had to make some um, some adjustments on a couple. So in at the end, so the anniversary of my accident is the 21st of Feb. Um, and I signed up last year to climb Kilimanjaro starting on that date. And I was supposed to finish on the day that I was brought out of my coma. And then so I've done loads of training and really excited for it. And then just before Christmas, the company I'd booked it um, through cancelled it because they didn't have enough numbers. And it it was really important for me to do it on that date, you know, Mm -hmm. and it was just something really special to me. so what I'm doing instead this year, I will still climb Kilimanjaro probably next year. Instead, I'm doing a, so you were supposed to walk every day for six hours, obviously up a mountain. Um, I'm going to be doing between the 21st of Feb and the 6th of March, I'm going to be doing a six hour a day um, climbing challenge on the climbing mill in the gym. <laughs> um, so I will still reach the height of Everest, but virtually instead of actually there this time. Um, So that's the thing with goals is to make sure that, you know, if you hit a stumbling block, it's not that you give up, you find a way around it and still achieve it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really, that's a beautiful note to leave it on. There's no need for (laughs) self-adulation around here. Just find, adjust your goal and and make sure it's still, yeah, doable and um, exciting. I think that's really inspirational. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much. You, for Thank you for being part of Burnout Isn't Necessary. Our aim is to assist you in navigating stress and preventing burnout. If you found our conversations valuable, please consider subscribing and taking a moment to rate the podcast. Your feedback is essential.
I want to hear from you. If you have questions or ideas for future episodes, share them with me. Your input can shape the content that we create. A common question I receive is where to start in managing stress, and everything starts with awareness. Stress impacts each of us in a unique way, and some stress symptoms can seem a little random, so I've created a checklist of symptoms to help you better understand how stress shows up for you. There's a link in the show notes. And a quick reminder, this podcast is presented for educational and entertainment purposes only. It's not a substitute for professional advice. Stay tuned for more episodes, and until next time, take care of yourself.